say that this morning it is well with your soul someone once said that treating sin lightly is like stroking the head of a tiger and saying nice kitty think about that picture for a moment stroking the head of a tiger and saying nice kitty may I just say that in our day we do not treat sin seriously enough That is, if people will even acknowledge sin in the first place. Today we call sin everything but sin. One fellow I read said that lying is a credibility gap for being economical with the truth. Deceit is getting along in your business relationships. Adultery is a harmless escapade or having an affair. Stealing is helping yourself to the perks of the job. Embezzlement is creative accounting. And selfishness is me standing up for my rights. Now, beloved, that's bad enough when it goes on out there. When it goes uh, goes on out in the world among those who do not love and serve and know the Lord Jesus Christ. But what's really bad is when it starts taking place in here, in church. Among the people who claim to know and to love and to serve the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We need to understand, beloved, that sin... It's serious business. Sin is nothing to play around with. Sin is deadly. Sin is what sent our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to that old rugged cross. Sin is no joking matter. Now, a lot of people don't want to talk about sin today. They don't want to talk about sin. We need to talk about sin and recognize sin and acknowledge sin and deal with sin in our lives. And in our more honest moments as Christians... As followers of Jesus, in our more honest moments, we have to admit that we all still struggle with sin. We still struggle with sin, right? We still struggle with it. Peter Marshall once observed, we're too Christian 
to really enjoy sinning and too fond of sinning to enjoy Christianity. He said, most of us know perfectly well what we ought to do. Our trouble is in that we do not want to do it. Well, we go back to first John this morning and I want to talk to you for a few moments upon the theme of the Christian and sin, the Christian and sin. What happens when a Christian sins? Can a Christian even sin? Do we ever reach a point in this life where we no longer sin? We're going to explore those answers and some others. We're going to pick up our study right where we left off last time. We just jumped in. If you're here today for the first time, you're not way behind. We just got this study started. We're going to pick up our reading there at verse number 5 of 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1, begin reading at verse 5, and we'll read down into chapter 2, verse 2. Would you follow along as I read? 1 John 1, beginning at verse 5. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Now, beloved, I'm usually a three-point preacher at least. When you come, you're going to get at least three points. But today, you're only going to get two points. Okay? Only two points. But I've got to give you a warning. Do not leave after the first point. You have to stay around for the second point. So you've got to stay for the first point and the second point. Don't leave. If you do leave, get the CD later. Listen to it on the podcast. Don't leave. Why? You've got to stay with me to the end because if you leave after point one, you're going to go out defeated, discouraged, downhearted, and probably even disillusioned. So please stay with me. I've got a big job today. You lost an hour of sleep last night? Some of you are planning on making it up right now. Well, at least stay with it until we get into point two. All right? Now, I also have to preface this by saying that this message is directed toward believers in Jesus Christ. Those who have been washed by the blood of the crucified one. If that is not you today, I want to invite you to Jesus Christ. I want to invite you to turn from your sin. And place your faith in Jesus Christ alone. You can have eternal life today. And I encourage you to do it. But this message is for the Christian. We're talking about the Christian and sin. So child of God, are you ready for point one? Are you ready? Number one, don't sin. Don't sin. Now, notice the first part of chapter two, verse one. Chapter two, verse one. My little children... 
John writes, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. You may not sin. As believers, sin is no longer our master. We've been delivered from the penalty of sin. We've been delivered from the power of sin. Praise God, one day we'll be delivered from the very presence of sin when we see Him face to face. But we do not have to sin. Listen to some verses from Romans chapter 6. You can jot these references down. Romans 6, 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. One version says, God forbid. How shall we who die to sin live any longer in it? Romans 6, 6 and 7, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. You're no longer a slave. You've been set free. And then listen to Romans 6, 11 through 14. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Beloved, child of God, we do not have to sin any longer. God does not want us to sin. Sin is not the pattern of our life. It's not the trajectory of our life. We can choose in the power of the Holy Spirit. We can choose in His power to say no to temptation and yes to God's word and will. And you need to understand that. We do not have to sin. We need to understand it clearly. Because so often, believers will lead defeated lives. Defeated lives. Forgetting they've been set free from the bondage of sin. They're no longer a slave to sin. They don't have to sin. Oftentimes, believers live like uh, someone who leaves Weight Watchers. And on the way home, they see that bright, red, glowing, hot sign at Krispy Kreme. And they leave Weight Watchers and they go through the drive-thru at Krispy Kreme. And they get a dozen hot, glazed, goofy, yummy donuts. Not to eat them. Not to eat them. But just in case they're tempted. <laughs> Believers live like that. Making provision for the flesh. The Bible says we're not to make provision for the flesh. Uh, listen to it. Romans 13, 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. You do not have to say. And as believers, our lives are not to be characterized by sin, ongoing, habitual sin. We're to live righteous, holy lives by grace and the power of the Holy Spirit. Not our power, but by His power. Now that's point one. Don't sin. Somebody's already left. Did y'all notice that? (laughs) Y'all catch her afterwards and bring her up to speed. Don't sin. That's point one. Now you're ready for point two. Don't sin, but when you sin, that's point two. And we're add more to it. But, 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 but when you sin, you say, wait a minute, preacher. You just said don't sin. Now you're saying, but when you sin, what do you mean? Well, listen, look back at that verse again. Chapter two, verse one. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin, period. But he doesn't stop, does he? Look at what he says next. 
And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. I like what Sam Gordon said. He says in the first part of 1 John 2, 1, John is a perfectionist. Don't sin. You may not sin. But in the second part, he's a realist. He says, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. The point is, beloved, we as Christians, we still sin. From time to time, we still sin. Now, some may claim sinless perfection. I've never met one. I've read about them. I've heard about them. There are those who say they reach a point in this life where they are sinlessly perfected. They don't sin anymore. I've never met one that's claimed that. Does anybody claim that here today? If they do, I always want to ask their, I would, I would ask your spouse or your son or your daughter, is that the truth? They say, no. We don't reach a point here. But listen, when we sin as a believer, we don't lose our salvation. Please understand that. We don't lose our salvation. We lose our fellowship. We lose our fellowship. And, and when we do, we have a choice to make. Really, it's very simple. We can choose to either try to cover it up, or we can choose... To confess it. We can try to cover it up or confess it. Now back up and see what God says there in chapter 1, beginning at verse 5. It says there, this is the message that we've heard from him. And declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. In the Greek, it's actually a double negative, which is bad grammar and bad English, but good Greek and good theology, if you will. Making it emphatic that there's no darkness, none at all in God. The Bible says in Psalm 104, 1 and 2, Bless the Lord, O my soul, O O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty, who cover yourself with light as with a garment, who stretch out the heavens like a curtain. Matthew 17, 2 says about the Lord Jesus, He was transfigured before them, His face shone like the sun, and His clothes became as white as light. John chapter 8, verse 12 says, Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of light. This idea of him being light is the idea of his glory, his majesty, his holiness, his perfection. And he says, listen, God is light. We need to understand that. But then he starts a whole series of if statements. If statements. And also a lot of talk about sin. You notice as we read the passage, how much talks about sin. Three times we see a statement that says, if we say. Verses 6, 8, and 10. Verse 7 says, if we walk. Verse 9 says, if we confess. And verse 1 of chapter 2 says, if anyone sins. If, 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 if. Over and over again. Let's deal with those first three if we say Verses, verses 6, 8, and 10. Notice it begins in verse 6, if we say, verse 8, if we say, and verse 10, if we say. Now, the real difficulty here, and I want you to put your thinking caps on. I know it's hard. You're tired. I'm tired, too, but we're going to keep going on here. I want you to think of it for a moment. Who's he talking about? That's the real difficulty. And I've wrestled with that this past week so much. And great conservative Bible scholars who love God and love God's word, they they disagree about this, about who is being addressed here. Who is this talking about? Look at the verses with me, then we'll talk about it. Chapter 1, verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. 
Verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Who is he talking about? Who is that describing? Well, some believe it's addressed to the false teachers. One of the reasons that John wrote this little letter was to counter some false teaching going on. And so some say, well, he's writing to the false teachers. Others say, no, he's writing to those who make a false profession of faith. Those who say, listen, I'm a child of God, but they're really not a child of God. They're just smouthing it, but it's not in their heart. Or I guess you could lump those two together. Because really the false teachers were also false professors, if you will. They did not know the Lord Jesus. But then others say, no, this is talking about saved people. This is talking about born again children of God. In these verses. So you say, who's right? Well, I'm not 100% certain, but I will tell you where I'm leaning and what I believe after studying and pouring it over it. I think these verses are referring to believing Christians. And the reason I do is because a couple of things. First of all, I want you to notice that John keeps using the word we. We, we, we. And also because this book is written to believers. It's written to those from the family of God. We've already talked about that in our opening material that we looked at last week. Now, that being said, I must warn everyone, though, it's obvious that if that is the case, these Christians had fallen into sin, referred to here as walking in darkness. And beloved, anyone who is a true believer who refuses to confess and forsake their sin will be disciplined by the father. As a believer, you don't just sin and sin and sin and get away with it. Hebrews 12, 7 and 8 says this. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom after a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. In other words, if a person says they're Christian, and they truly are, and they fall into sin, and they don't confess that sin and deal with that sin and get rid of that sin in their life. The father, out of a loving heart, will discipline that child. Just like you, moms and dads, you discipline your children. Why? Because you love them. Whom the, love, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. He disciplines them. But here's the point. If a person says that I am a Christian, and yet they're living in continual, habitual sin... And they're never bothered by it. They're never convicted by it. God doesn't discipline them for it here. Then reality is they're probably not a Christian in the first place. Because the Bible says, I just quoted in Hebrews 12, 6, For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. But back in those other verses, it's what? It says, if you're not disciplined, then you're illegitimate and not sons. So you have to understand here that a person who just lives a habitual, sinful life and yet keeps saying, oh, how I love Jesus, better go back and make sure they know Jesus in the first place. Because if you're a Christian and you sin, what happens? The Holy Spirit convicts you. He begins to deal with your heart. And He seeks to bring you back into a loving fellowship with the Father. And if you keep resisting, He will discipline you and bring you back into fellowship with Him. Now listen. Even though we're children of God, if we know the Lord Jesus, we still sin from time to time. We have a new nature. Hallelujah. But you know what? We still have an old sinful nature. 
that loves to rear its ugly, stinking head and get its way. Go back sometime and read what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 7. And you'll see the struggle going on there. We have a new nature and we have a sinful nature, the old nature. Donald Gray Barnhouse, a great preacher from years gone by, often gave this analogy in helping us understand that while a Christian may sin, he doesn't have to sin. He said there was a crew of a large sailing vessel who once had a captain on there who literally lost his mind during one of those voyages. Can you imagine that? Being out in the middle of the ocean and the captain loses his mind. He lost touch with sanity, with reality, and they didn't know what to do other than lock him in a safe place and keep him there on board throughout the remainder of the voyage. Now, in situations like that, according to custom, the first mate immediately became the new captain of the vessel. And from that moment on, the old captain had no authority. He had no authority at all over that ship and over those men. The problem was the old lunatic captain didn't agree. And from his confined quarters, he would constantly bark out orders to the members of the crew. He'd scream and yell and make such a fuss that it was easy to get distracted. And the crew who'd been serving under this lunatic uh, captain, uh, and even in his right mind for so long, they were inclined to obey his voice. You know, they heard the captain's voice, they were ready to obey, but they had to teach themselves. Teach themselves. No matter what he commanded, he had absolutely no authority in their lives. He was not to be obeyed any longer. And Barnhouse then made the analogy that fallen nature Temptation, the devil himself, are like that old captain. They keep shouting out the orders. They keep barking out the orders. But they've been stripped of any real authority over us. We may obey them. We don't have to. You see, the past is powerless. The enemy has no binding authority. We're no longer slaves to sin. We're no longer in bondage to sin. And so now we listen to a new voice. We have a new captain, the Lord Jesus Christ, his Holy Spirit indwelling us. And and we ignore the old insane captain. We ignore the old sinful nature and we follow the new captain, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have two natures dwelling within us as believers. Listen to what Galatians 5.17 says about it. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to another so that you cannot do the things that you wish. There's a battle going on within us as believers. That's why you still have those temptations and you're going towards this and you have to obey the Lord. The poet said it this way. Two natures beat within my breast. The one is foul. The one is blessed. The one I love, the one I hate and the one I feed will dominate. You see, we're to be. Feasting upon the Lord and growing and nurturing uh, the inner man, the new man, and uh, obeying the Lord. So we know that we as believers, we're going to sin from time to time. So the question is, what do we do? It's vital that you know this. And by the way, it's vital that you share with a new believer. If you lead someone to Christ, be sure you tell them, listen, that doesn't mean you're never going to sin again. But here's what you do when you do. Now, here's really just two options. Let's say you sinned. By the way, would you be honest today? Just think about it. Have you sinned this past week, Christian? You know, there are sins of commission, but there are also sins of omission. There are things that God has told us to do 
that we disobey and don't do. We omit doing them. That's a sin. They're sins of commission. Thou shalt not lie. Sometimes we lie. We, we stretch the truth. No, we lie. You see? All of us. If we're honest, it's a Sunday morning. Those are little children. You probably sinned this morning, didn't you? Yeah, we sin a lot, don't we? Holler and scream and on the parking lot, put on our smiling Christian faces, right? <laughs> Shut up! Oh, oh. Hey, preacher, God bless you. It's a great day to be alive. <laughs> this is the day the Lord hath made. I'll rejoice and be glad in it. Hallelujah. Get in Sunday school. Yeah. Right? Let's be honest about it. Two natures dwelling within us. So what do we do when we sin? Two options. We can try to cover it up, or we can confess it. Now, we see the effort to cover it up in this passage. In those if we say verses we looked at, verses 6, 8, and 10. Where's we said, how do we try to cover our sins as Christians? By telling lies. And he, and he helped me in this. First, we lie to other people. Look at verse 6 of chapter 1 again. Chapter 1, verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with Him, so we're saying, oh, I'm in fellowship with God, and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So we try to cover our sin, first of all, by lying to other people. But then it gets worse. Next, he says, we lie to ourselves. Look at verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. We try to practice self-deception. and Maybe we try to rationalize. Well, you know, it really, really is not a sin. I mean, yeah, I, we lie to ourselves. And then sadly, thirdly, even worse, we lie to God or actually try to make God a liar. Look at verse 10. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. The cover up. He says the believer lies about his fellowship in verse six, about his nature. I could never do that in verse eight and about his actions in verse 10. We try to lie about it, cover it up. We see that in the life of David, don't we? David sinned with Bathsheba. And instead of confessing and right, he tried to cover it up. And beloved, we understand that trying to hide our sin never works. If you don't believe it, just go back and ask David. Ask Achan in the Old Testament. Ask Adam and Eve. What do they do when they sin? They run to God saying, oh God, forgive me. What did they do? They went and hid and tried to cover up themselves and their sin. Proverbs 28, 13 is a verse you need to understand and know. Maybe it's one of the ones we'll learn later. I don't know. Proverbs 28, 13 says, he who covers his sins... Will not prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. That's a great verse. Now listen. Instead of trying to cover up our sin. Here's what we need to do. We need to confess our sin and forsake them. Look at verse 9. The Bible clearly says if we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now you have to understand what confess means there. Confess means to say the same thing. Confess means to agree with God. It means that I say the same thing about my actions, my sin, that God says about them. In other words, we drag it out into the light. And we expose it to the light. The Bible says in verse 6, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, the son, cleanses us from all sin. So I drag my sin out to the light. See, men love darkness rather than light, don't they? 
They want to hide even in their evil deeds. But sad to say, we're living in a day where they're dragging out to the light, right? I mean, to the light of everybody seeing them and boasting in their sin and, and glorying in their sin. But we as believers, we, we try to keep it hidden. He says, drag it out and confess it and, and say the same thing I say about it and get specific. We like to speak in generalities. You ever notice that? Oh, God, forgive me my sin. No, we need to call it what it is. Sins of commission, sins of omission. We need to be specific and, and name them. God, I lied. God, I cheated. God, I lusted. God, I gossiped. I confess that I agree with you. That is sin in my life. A lady got under conviction about gossip, the sin of gossip, uh, during the public altar call. And the call went out to call, come forward and confess the sin. And Bud Robinson was the preacher. Uh, he was standing at the front of the church and he, he received the lady at the front. And she was guilty of the sin of gossip. She came forward. She said, I want to lay my tongue on the altar. I want to lay my tongue on the altar. And, and, and Bud, Bud responded. He said, the altar is only 16 feet long, but go ahead and lay her on. <laughs> lay her on. We need to be specific about sin. And name it and confess it and, 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 and just come out in the light with it. Say, God, I've sinned. Because the glorious thing is, it says when we do, God forgives us. He cleanses us. He puts us back in a right fellowship with him. You see, you never lost your sonship or daughtership. Please understand that. If your child does something wrong. They're still your son or daughter. But boy, the fellowship just gets strained, doesn't it? That's the same thing of our Heavenly Father. We never lose our sonship or daughtership. We truly are born again. We have eternal life. You're still in the family when you sin, but you're out of fellowship. But when we confess that sin, it says Jesus, our advocate, our helper, our defense attorney even, is the propitiation. His blood covers our sin. And we're forgiven of that sin. See, don't cover it. Confess it and forsake it. Get back to walking in the light. Chapter 1, verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, here's the question. How do we walk in the light? There's no literal light that shines upon us. We walk around and we walk in the light that we just read what that God is light. And we're to walk in the light, We walk in darkness. We're in the wrong, but we're to walk in the light. So how do we walk in the light? Well, listen to Psalm 119, 105. It's a great help here. The Bible says in Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet. You know what it says next? And a light to my path. See, the way to walk in the light, to walk in the word of God, in the will of God, is to be in the word of God so you know what it is that God wants you to do. And you live according to the word of God. You walk in the light. Now, really, this is pretty simple. Basically, here's what we're saying. Christian, don't sin. That's the goal. That's our goal. God helping us, we're not going to sin. But when we do sin, because we are going to sin, we're not going to try to cover it up. We're going to drag it out in the light. We're going to confess it, forsake it. And we're going to go on walking in the light and have fellowship with the Lord. Stephen Davey told the following in a message he preached on 1 John. He said, Pastor and author John Ortberg wrote about our sinful human nature. And the need for confession and a humorous story from his own family life. He said at the time, his daughter, Laura, was four years old and his daughter, Mallory, was two and a half. 
He writes, many years ago, we bought our first really nice piece of furniture. It was a pink sofa, but for the money we paid for it, it was called a mauve sofa. The man at the sofa store told us all about how to take care of it. We took it home. Since we had small children at the time, the number one rule in our home from that day on became don't sit on the mauve sofa. Don't play near the mauve sofa. Don't eat around the mauve sofa. Don't breathe on the mauve sofa. On every other chair in the house, you may freely sit. But on the mauve sofa, you shall not sit. For on that day you sit thereon, you will surely die. (laughs) But he says, but then one day came the fall. There appeared a mauve sofa and a stain, a red stain, a red jelly stain. Ortberg said, my wife called the man at the sofa factory and he told her the bad news. So she assembled our children in the living room to look at the stain on the sofa. She said, children, do you see that? That's a stain. That's a red stain. That's a red jelly stain. And the man at the sofa store says it's not coming out for all eternity. Do you know how long eternity is, children? Eternity is how long we're going to sit here until one of you tells me which one of you put that red jelly stain on the sofa. And he said for a long time they just sat there. Till finally one and a half year old Mallory cracked and said, Laura did it. <laughs> Laura said, I did not. He says, then it was dead silence for the longest time. And I knew none of them would confess to putting that stain on the sofa because they'd never seen their mother that mad in their entire lives. He said, I knew they wouldn't confess because they knew if they did, they would spend eternity and time out. And Ortberg also writes, I also knew they wouldn't confess because, in fact, I was the one who got the red jelly stain on the sofa. And I wasn't saying nothing, not one word. Stephen Davies said, the truth is we've all stained the sofa somewhere, somehow. Our hearts are stained daily. Our hands are stained often. Our consciences are stained repeatedly. Red stains like crimson, Isaiah wrote. But he says, unlike the frustrated mother, God knows everything already. He knows who did what, when, and where. And beloved, God invites you as his child to come and confess that sin. And the glorious thing is Proverbs 28, 13 says again, he who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. He says in first John one nine, you confess it. I'll forgive. I'll cleanse. I'll restore. We'll be back in fellowship again. Father. It is with a grateful heart that we bow in your holy presence again. And Father, I thank you for the freedom from the bondage of sin. We don't have to sin anymore. Lord, I pray if anybody here has never placed their faith in Jesus Christ alone, I pray in these next few moments that allow someone to take a Bible and sit down and share Christ with them. Now, Father, for those of us who know you, this message has been for us today. I pray that you'd help us to live like this. 
Lord, to to not sin, but then we realize we are going to sin and you've made provision. And I thank you, Lord, when we sin, we don't lose our sonship or daughtership. We're still in the family. We're just out of fellowship. But you've made a way. If we'll just agree with you and confess it, you'll put us back into fellowship. Father, I pray today as we sing this closing hymn that there's anyone here today who's out of fellowship with you. They'll come and get those things right. They'll leave here rejoicing, knowing they've been forgiven and cleansed. And they're in fellowship with God and with their brothers and sisters in Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Our closing hymn this morning, 280, Jesus, keep me near the cross. You need to be saved today. That's all I'm asking you to do is just walk down here and meet me at the front. I welcome you here and then we'll take and place you with someone who loves Jesus and loves you. They'll take a Bible and share Christ with you. If you're a Christian today, the altar is open. This message has been for you. It's been for me. I'd invite you to come today and maybe give some thanks to the Lord and get back in fellowship with Him. As we stand and sing 280, Jesus keep near the cross. Let's stand and sing.